0: Today is going to begin a five-part series, Christmas series, Waiting for the Arrival. We're going to really consider different aspects of the Advent. And we're going to be looking back and considering Christ when he came, while also kind of looking both ways and looking ahead and, and looking towards the second Advent of Christ's return. But before we get really too far into the series... I want us to really slow down. I want us to think and contemplate uh, the the setting of the, the nativity scene. You know, oftentimes we can drive by in our neighborhood and we can see the nativity out on the front lawn. And it looks so nice, so quiet, so quaint. It's almost inviting. And yet, as we contemplate that, that's probably not true of what was really going on in the reality of world at that time. And so we don't want to lose sight of that. Because here's what was going on it was a dark time. It was a cold time. When I say dark time, spiritually dead. People living in complete darkness and seemingly silent because of so much sin. The spiritual leaders were the greatest of offenders. By this time, Rome was the superpower. Within the world, it's been estimated that within this huge region of their Roman oppression, 30 to 40% of the population was in slavery. Oppressed. Beaten. They were merely looked at as slave labor and or property to be used, abused, and diminished, and pushed to the side however they saw fit. Pretty astounding when you stop to think about it. And then, not only that, I mean, the poverty and persecution was just normal, ongoing, horrible, horrible conditions. And so, there might have been maybe many of those looking for a Savior, looking for a Messiah, and they would wonder: will God show up? Will God see us and actually save us? Or will God remain silent? Or will He speak? You know, from one time or another, no doubt in our lives, we might even wrestle with those same questions of doubt and discouragement when things aren't going according to our plans, or we look around the world and we just get bombarded with all these negative things. And so, as we wrestle with those things, I want us to be in tune to God, His Word, His Spirit today, even in days of difficulty ahead. And so, I think the Lord has a lot to say to us today. And so, I want us to be mindful of God's timing. It's not our timing. We're going to see that throughout all of the Bible. And hopefully, though, as a result of this, we're going to walk away with a greater conviction of God's plan and his purposes, knowing that God's plans and God's purposes are often way bigger than ours, and we have little to no understanding fully of what God is up to and the front lines, and behind the scenes. And so here's our sermon title for today. The Proclamation Fulfilled. The Proclamation Fulfilled. Lots of things are going to be said in the Old Testament, lots of proclamations, lots of promises, lots of prophecies pointing forward to this nativity scene of Christ bursting on the scene. Or we're going to see Old Testament connecting the dots to New Testament. So our scripture reading, and we heard it earlier, Galatians 4. Verse 4 and 5 is all we're going to read at this moment. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. In those two verses, one complete sentence, we have the condensed version of the Christmas story. It's right there. Like we could just mic drop, say amen, and go on, but we're, we're going to continue on. But I mean, it's right there. In, in the perfect time, God's time, God would, would do the work. He would send his son, who would be born of a woman, under the, the authority of God's law. Why? Well, to redeem. If you're not familiar with that word, to, to, to purchase back those who are condemned, those who are uh, under the law of bondage of sin, th- those can, that, that cannot escape that. To rescue those guilty, those condemned under the law, through Christ he will bring freedom, forgiveness, and not only that, it doesn't stop there. As you see and as we've already talked about in the past few weeks, He also looks to receive us, to bring us into his family. So we have this beautiful picture of forgiveness and freedom and family, all right here. And Christ has come. He's come with this opportunity for for man to be free, to be set free of the the law that only condemns them. And in this exact moment, in, in human history, born of a human woman, fully God, yet fully man, He sets out on this mission to redeem man. You know where you see that word redeem? It has this Greek word taking uh, taking on the meaning of to purchase out of slavery. So think in the Roman context as this is being written. They're going to be putting this together that, oh, while they may not be free of all their problems and trials and troubles in life, there is this greater life and there is this greater freedom that they can experience through Christ, through Him bursting on the scene. Having said all of these things, I don't know about you, maybe your head and heart is fully in tune with me today. Maybe you're locked in, but maybe you're like me. You can easily be distracted and lose sight of of things. And so let's just ask the Lord to quiet our hearts and focus. Lord, thank you for today. No doubt our hearts and our heads can be going in so many different directions. And yet, Lord, we want to hear from you today. We want your word and your spirit to work within our lives. We want you to speak to us. We want to draw near to you as you long to draw near to us. Father, you know I got nothing to offer. (laughs) But you certainly do. And so I pray that even today, even in our time together, you just meet with us in a special way. And we'd walk away from here today better as a result of being together under your word. And so we invite you into this place. We ask for you to do a work that we cannot do. Father, we realize we're We're nothing but slaves in the bondage of sin apart from Christ. And because of Christ, we have been set free. We've been saved from all of that. Even in the midst of horribleness in life, we can still find reason to rejoice in you. And so, Lord, today, speak and move in this place. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, um, you guys know it, right? The Christmas countdown, it's upon us. Uh Maybe some of you are got the 25 day countdown, and so you're well aware of the time and with Christmas, there is a growing anticipation of Christmas day. But until then, we wait and we wait, and waiting is hard. Waiting is a struggle. Um, over oftentimes, um, we can have a lack of patience, mainly because we don't want to wait. Kids, why do we go to fast food? Is it because it's the most amazing? nutritious food in the world? No. We want it. We want to get in, get out, and go. We want the food. Uh, Maybe, kids, you've seen your parents at the red light, and there's a car in front of them, and the light turns red, and they're like, oh, I gotta sit here for like a whole minute. They gotta sit there, and then the light turns green. The person in front of them doesn't go right away, right? Like, two seconds goes by, and like, we're ready to honk the horn, and come on, get out of the way. Why? Because we don't want to wait, We're in a real real hurry to get to the grocery store, and that that two seconds is really going to, ugh. We don't like to wait. You know, um, Amazon, you can get Amazon, but you can get Amazon Prime, and not only Amazon Prime, but Amazon same-day shipping. That is, I can order something right now, and tonight, at dinner time, the the package arrives at my door. Why do we do that, rather than, you know, the two or three days out? Because we can't wait. We want it, and we want it now. On Christmas Day, the kids wake up early. They don't wake up early any other day of the year, except this one day. Why do they wake up? Because they don't want to wait to, to for open the presents. They want to open those things right now. But like, they, oh. If you go to an amusement park, some of you, may, you might spend a little extra money for the speedy pass. Because you don't want to stand in line. You don't want to wait. Although then you get in the speedy pass line you still have to wait. How does that work? I don't know. Never bought one. what about this? Maybe, I mean, some of you are going to travel home for Christmas, and what are you looking for? The, the, stop, the, the, the flight with one or two layovers or the non-stop? You want the nonstop flight. You don't want to wait. I love going to the airport. I love watching people. Layovers don't bother me, but for many of us, we want the, the non-stop flight because we don't want to wait. When the cookies are in the oven, you can smell them. You don't want to wait. You want to eat those cookies right now. Isn't that right? That's right, yeah, okay. What about this? You know, I could go on and on. We should probably pause. Here's what we see in the Bible, though. This has always been a problem. Always been a problem of God having a different timetable than man. So we're not going to park in all these scriptures. I'm just going to kind of walk us through this little narrative. So understanding that God's time is not man's timing, which oftentimes tends to frustrate us. Abraham. He's waiting for a son and waiting and waiting and waiting and he gets tired of waiting as if God has forgotten or made a mistake and he takes matters into his own hands, makes a mess of things. Joseph, what does Joseph do? He's done nothing wrong and yet he sits in prison. Year after year after year, waiting. Almost silent, like God, have you forgotten about me? Did God forget? No. God actually had great plans for him. Then while in Egypt, the children of God are wondering, how long, how long, how long till we're delivered? Many, many years. And God would speak, and God would judge, and God would raise up Moses, and God would save them, God would deliver them out of that. And then Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai, he's up there for 10 days, he is worshiping and he is hearing God speak. People can't wait for 10 days. Down in the valley, they start doing some horrible, wicked, sinful acts, taking matters into their own hands and worshiping on their level rather than what God has called them to do. They didn't want to wait. The children of Israel, they would wait 40 years in the wilderness for the promised land. And finally, they're able to enter the promised land. And then over time, there's this corrupt priesthood that Israel had no king. And it seems as if God would be seemingly silent but some would wait. You see, in First Samuel, we see Hannah, who is praying, Lord, give me the gift of a child, and I will give him back to you, and he will do great things. And she prays year after year. And God delivers, and in the midst of a seemingly time of darkness and silence, this man, Samuel, will become the spokesman for God. God speaks to Samuel. And Then we fast forward and the people wanted a king. They didn't want God's king. They just wanted to be like the other countries. And so God gives them a king and they have Saul. And Saul doesn't want to wait for Samuel. He's supposed to wait until the priest gets there to do these sacrifices, But he got tired of waiting. He takes matters into his own hands and he messes things up. Do you see how God isn't in a rush? Do you see that God is on a different timetable often than than, than man? It's all peppered throughout the Bible. I mean, if you read some of the Psalms of Lament, what do you see? How long, O Lord? Lord, when will you deliver? More questions than answers oftentimes in some of those Psalms. And then we do see God show up. We do see God come to the rescue. God hearing, God speaking, God saving. And then you see the prophets and the people who would then go into exile for their sinful living. They were promised this Messiah. They're looking for this Messiah. But who? But when? But where? Silence. Silence can be deafening, right? I mean, if I just went silent right here for like two minutes, you'd be like, awkward. What's going on here? Can can we stop this? Um, We we don't like that. And what we see at the end of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, before turning the page to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, which is where we're going to be next week, what do we see? You see a whole lot of nothing. Because what there is, is 400 years of silence. Did... Did God just get tired? Oh, you know what? I'm just going to take a 400-year break, and then I'll get back to you. Did God somehow not, not know what, what to do next, and he's for the next 400 years, he's trying to draw up some sort of blueprint to, to bring about this Messiah? No. No, no, no. What takes place is going to be exactly on time, according to God's time, according to God's plan executed in God's way. This is what's going to happen. And in some ways, from Malachi to Matthew, a lot has changed and not so much has changed. What do I mean by that? Well, the empire of Assyria, Babylon, the Persians, the Greeks, they have all come and gone. But now there's the new superpower of Rome, who we've already talked about. And Israel is occupied and oppressed. And they feel it on every corner of their life every area of their life here's what they know they don't have a king there's no one righteous ruling over them they have the corruption of rome and the corruption of their religious leaders and there could be those people that generally want to love and live for the lord and follow the lord and say lord why how long what's going on silence it could be very frustrating i would think Have you ever been there? I mean, have you not necessarily there, but like, I mean, where you're wondering? Lord, do you even see me? Do you know? Because it seems like crickets. Are you even working? Because I don't really see you working. If we were to say, hey, raise your hands, if that's you, like, we'd probably all put up our hands. But I want to assure you today that when we don't think God is working, God is working. Is God indifferent towards their suffering? Was God unaware of the surrounding circumstances? Was was God just trying to figure it out? No. God was allowing these things to carry out on earth according to his eternal timetable. He is not phased by these things, he remains faithful. Even in seasons to be seemingly silent, he is faithful. How do you say that? Well, is the sun still rising and setting? It sure is. Is he still sending forth the rain? He sure is. Is he still allowing man in his grace and new morning mercies to live and breathe and dwell in his creation every day? He sure was. And so while it's easy to oftentimes figure out and point to all the negatives and become just cantankerous in life, we we ought to realize, oh, Lord, you've been so good, and help me to be content in life. Lord, Lord, help me. Because God is not in a hurry, God is not in a rush, and God is not panicking. God would actually send a Messiah, a Savior, but when, where, how? Well, God is working all those things out in His place, in His plan, in His perfect time. Our big idea for today is this: in seasons of silence, God still speaks and saves. In seasons of silence, God still speaks and saves. And even when we don't see Him working, He is working. In his great sovereignty, he sees behind the scenes. And he brings about all of these things as he sees fit. I was talking to someone earlier this week about God being incomprehensible. We cannot fully fathom or understand all of the finite workings of God. Because if I could, that God is not very impressive. The fact is, he, the, the breadth and depth of God is so much greater than me, so much greater than you. And who am I to to question God and and, and tell him what to do? He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. And when we have that perspective and we step back, it makes us to to be a little bit more in awe of God. You see, from the beginning pages to the closing pages of the Bible, here's what we see. God speaking. Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God. And then what's it say? He said... Let there be light. He spoke it into existence. And then he brings about his special creation and speaks and breathes life and brings that into existence. That's the God that we're talking about, the God who speaks life and light. That's the God that's gonna burst on the scene in Matthew chapter one. What do we see a little further down in Genesis chapter three? Adam and Eve walking, not walking alone but God's speaking to them and they are interacting with God. What a concept until sin radically changes those things. But God still speaks. The question is, are you listening? Are you looking to hear from him? You know, sometimes people might say something like this, "Well, well, God told me, or I just feel God calling me to do, fill in the blank, whatever that is. Are they literally talking about are they hearing a verbal, audio voice from God? Did God text them or call them on the phone? That's not what they're talking about. We understand that as they're, they're seeking out the Lord, uh, as they're in tune to the Spirit of the Lord, that God is stirring within them, and God is moving within them, and the Lord is teaching them, and they're growing, and, and they're hearing from God. Not in the sense of Old Testament, because that's not exactly how he works anymore. So here's what we're going to do. As we consider this, we're going to do like a 50,000 foot fly-by overview of Old Testament prophecies that were going to be fulfilled in New Testament. But there's no way we could go over all of them. We just, no way. So here's what we're going to do. Because the next few weeks, we're going to be looking in the book of Matthew. So we're only going to be considering briefly Old Testament prophecies that would be fulfilled in the Gospel of Matthew. Not even all all the other Gospels. So we're just, Real quickly. This is going to be small. I'll send this out in our worship review. Well, here's what we see. This promise of born of a woman, Genesis chapter three, Matthew chapter one, fulfilled. Uh, Born of this family line of Seth, eventually to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, Matthew chapter one, he connects the dots. It's fulfilled. The royalty line of David, king, royalty, 2 Samuel, fulfilled in Matthew chapter one. This preceded forerunner, we we know him as the voice crying in the wilderness, Isaiah 40, Malachi 3, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3. Born of a virgin, super uh, miracle, this miraculous birth, Isaiah chapter 7. Announced, fulfilled. Announced, fulfilled, time and time again. Born in Bethlehem, Matthew, or Micah chapter 5, Matthew chapter 2. Old Testament, hundreds of years prior fulfilled. God's timetable is not a little different than ours. This angelic announcement announced by angels, Numbers 24, Matthew chapter 2. Called out of Egypt, Hosea 11, Matthew chapter 2. I commit those to you to read, to study, and to discover further for yourself, but here's what we know. What God says, what God's plans, he will eventually fulfill. That's what we're seeing right here. That's what we see throughout Oh, the Bible. So God still speaks, but are you listening? That is the question. Today, there's really two ways in which God reveals Himself. There's general revelation and special revelation. And you're like, what? So First Samuel three, we hear that God audibly speaks to Samuel, and he says, "Oh Lord, speak. Your servant is listening." Would that be true of you or you're crying out and saying, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. I want to hear from you. I want to be in tune to you and what you're saying in my life. I want to ask you this. If, you, if someone were to stop and ask you, what is God saying to you right now? Not audibly. What is God teaching you right now? What would you say? Nothing. Or something. I don't know. Well, is he speaking? But you're not listening? could be. Is he speaking, but you are distracted, or just simply not tuned in, right? My kids can put on the headphones, and I can talk to them, but they're, they're tuned into something else, and they're not hearing it. Doesn't mean I'm not speaking to them, it just means they're not listening, they're not hearing. I think oftentimes in our lives, we can get our lives so filled with clutter and distractions of this, this, and this. There's some house projects at my house, um, the dryer went out yesterday, that was exciting, after we have the, the two loads of wet laundry. Um, there's, there's all these other things that we gotta do the checklist before Christmas, and before I know it, my mind can be like a squirrel, boom, 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 and I am not in tune to the things of God. My mind and heart is elsewhere. This general revelation that we're talking about is really God speaking through natural means. Nature, stars, skies, created things. Psalm 19 says this just listen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Romans 1 says this For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. God speaks through these ways. But they're general. They're generic. They can reveal certain aspects about God. But they do not reveal the full redemption of man and God's full plan. You can't just look at the skies and be like, Oh, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born born under the law, so that we would be redeemed and receive adoption of sons. The stars don't tell you that. (laughs) That's where we move to this special revelation. God's word, which reveals who he is. And who we are, God speaks. And we are to listen, to take it in. You know, in special revelation, Hebrews 1 says this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that is Jesus. God has appointed him heir of all things and made, him, uh, made the universe through him. You see, in the Christmas narrative, here's what we see. We see the, the prophets, proclamation, we see angels, we see dreams, we see visions, we see all of these things. You and I don't see that anymore. If you see that a lot, let's, let's talk later. Why is those things not happening? Why are, are angels not appearing to you? Why are you not having all of these new prophecies? Because God has revealed himself through his Son and in his written word. This is God's special revelation to us. This is oftentimes the the preeminent thing of how God speaks to us. And so we must not neglect this. Having said all of those things, in seasons of silence, we're going to real quickly hit three basic thoughts that I really want us to seize. In seasons of silence, when, when God seems silent. Is he still speaking? And so just three basic thoughts. Number one is this. Be still. Be still. You guys are all very familiar with Psalm 46.10 that says, be still and know that I am God. And in a sense, this is an encouragement to believers to reflect on who God is. And ah, that's just neat. That's Just good. Ah, Take that in. However, if you were to read the greater context of that whole psalm, Verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. So, so, so pause and reflect that, that God is in control regardless of everything else. Stand in awe of that. So it's not just but it's a resting, it's but a, it's a really acknowledging God even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of spiritual warfare within your life. Acknowledge God. Be still and recognize him. Stand in awe of him. It's this snap out of it. Stop living in fear and start acknowledging him who is over all. So while verse 10 is amazing, let's keep it in the context of verse 1. But, you know, when we say be still, there is this this thought of ha. And I think there's a place for that. And the Psalms speak of this. Psalm 119 verse 15 says this. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. When you think of meditation, when you think of really just slowing down to think, how are you doing in that? Because I don't know about you, but my alarm can go off and I pop out of bed, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. But I pop out of bed and then I just start going and I keep going. And I keep going, and I don't know if you have one of these things. It's called a cell phone. And it starts ringing and buzzing and beeping and texting and all of these things. And I find it hard to meditate. I find it hard to stop, pause, think, be still. But this is what we're commanded to do. That's when he says, be still and know that I am God. This is a command. Are you embracing this command to just, ah, or are you just caught up doing all of these other things? Joshua 1 says this, this book of instruction must not depart out of my mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do how are you doing? Are you prospering? Are you succeeding in all of life? Maybe you are. You're just like, I I got this. Or are you just, it says there, if we're meditating both day and night, we're, we're ruminating on these things. We're chewing on it. We're absorbing it. We're observing it. Then we are renewed. Then we are strengthened. But apart from that, we really tend to struggle. In Luke chapter 5, many are coming to, it says, hear the words of Christ. Christ would go on to later reveal, I have the words of life. You see, everything you need in this life is found in Christ. And people were discovering that as they would come to Jesus. And then if you were to keep flipping the pages to Mark chapter 10, you see the story of Martha and Mary. And Jesus enters the house. Like, think about this. Jesus is in your home, the Messiah, Savior to the world. And while Mary isn't doing a bad thing, right? She's wanting to clean and prepare and make sure everything is perfect because whenever Jesus shows up, sooner or later, so are all those other hungry disciples, and we got to get the house in order. But Jesus sits down. And Martha is there, just sitting being silent, just taking it in as he is just pouring out words of life to her. And she's just like, just drinking it in. Like, oh, this is so good. And so while she runs to the feet of Jesus, Mary is running all around to all different places away from Jesus. Jesus is in her house. Like, he's only going to be there a little bit. You might as well just time out on everything. That there's time to do those things later. Let's just be still. Uh, As I preach this, I'm preaching to myself and to you, but mainly to myself as well. Not only do we need to be still, but number two is this. We need to be searching. Maybe you're not hearing because you're not searching. Or maybe you're searching, but you're searching in all the wrong places. I should write a song about that. I think it's already been done. Or maybe we want to search but sin is causing us to to struggle or to stumble. Well, there's good news. The Bible speaks much about this. We can repent and be restored. But we we got to seek out the Lord. Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. God is calling us to seek him. 2 Chronicles 7 says, And my people who bear my name, when they humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their lands. The Hebrew word in there for face is presence. When they come to seek my presence. That's what he was telling that group. You and I still need to seek the, the face of the Lord, to seek the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14 says the following. Now keep in mind, this is written to this specific group that are caught in exile, but it really declares the heart of who God is. As Jeremiah writes to those in exile, he says this You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found. This is the Lord's declaration. Do you hear what God is saying to those people? Come, come, come. He, this is what He's wanting. He's wanting them to be searching for Him. He, he, it's not a game of hide and seek. You search for me, you'll find me. I'm not hiding. It's this barricade of sin and distractions and all these other things. I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. You search for me and I will declare, I will show up. I love what James says. Draw near to me. Why? Because I will draw near to you. Oh my goodness. We can draw close to God and he will draw near to us. Gotta keep in mind that verse six where it says, but God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let us humbly be searching the Lord, looking for him, seeking him out. Turn with me real quick to Psalm 63. It's it's just too good to not read and hear. I prayed earlier, I got really nothing for you. But God's word certainly does. Listen to this. In Psalm 63, I'm just going to read a few verses. It says this. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in the land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me. As with rich food, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie down on my bed, I meditate on you. During the night watches, because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will follow close to you. Your right hand holds me up. That's who we are supposed to be seeking, and that's what we will find. Number three is this, be spirit-filled. We need to be still, we need to be searching, but we also need to be spirit-filled. We must walk cautiously, being careful for what we fill our head and our heart with. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, because I want to be asking you this question. Are you filled with the presence of God? Or are we unintentionally pushing away or quenching the Holy Spirit of God? Listen to... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, like the Lord wants to reveal this to you. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. God desires for you and I Because if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer, God gives you the Holy Spirit that indwells you. But at times, we can have sin or other things that, that quench or diminish us hearing or living out according to the Spirit of God. It's one of these things that's just spiritual warfare. And he's saying, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 6, where they install the first deacon, when they install the first deacons there, here's what we see. That... They are looking for men of good report, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In Acts chapter 13, they've faced a little persecution, Paul and Barnabas there, um, and they've been kicked out of Antioch, but here's what we read in verse 51. Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit... You see, as they were committed to living out the Word and living in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was indwelling them. They were full of it. They are just, just walking and talking, filled with the Spirit of God. And what accompanies it? Joy. So here's what I'm going to pull from this. If we are lacking joy because joy is a fruit of the Spirit, it's probably an indicator that we're not filled of the Spirit if we lack joy, because they go hand in hand. When you're full of the Spirit, one of the things, even though you can have problems, you can still have joy in the midst of that. So you and I, if we're just really, 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 really lacking joy, we ought to run to the Lord and say, Lord, give me an extra dose, give me an extra filling of your Spirit. Help me to walk in your Spirit so that I may experience true joy, a joy that the world cannot offer. Last passage, and then we're gonna say amen. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. I'm going to read verses 3 through 12. You can just listen along if you'd like. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. You are are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. And then it goes on to talk about, you rejoice in this even though you, for a short time if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that you may prove the character of your faith more valuable than gold, more than precious gold, it's refined by fire that may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you are not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious what? Joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So when it seems like silence in the midst of suffering, he says, God is working. Know this. But it gets better. Listen to these final verses. Concerning your salvation, that is the gospel message you received. The prophets, even Old Testament, who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, that they knew of this coming Messiah, they knew of this, this coming Savior. It says they searched and carefully investigated. They were trying to figure it out. This life and death and resurrection, and ascension of Christ, they didn't know all of these things. They just knew, like, when, where, how. They inquired, this is verse 11, into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them uh, was indicating when he testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It says, it was revealed. God made this known to them that they were not serving themselves, but for you. That is, they were servants of God. They didn't fully know, they didn't fully understand. But listen to this. These things have now been announced. They've come to fruition. That The prophecies have been fulfilled. To you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So from heaven, the angels were waiting and looking down and appearing and seeing all of these things according to God's timetable. My friends, what a privilege it is to know the proclamations of the gospel are fulfilled and we get to see a, a glimpse of it in this Christmas narrative. It's an amazing story of a living hope that the angels even look to stand in awe of this because of the perfect timing that God would send his son to redeem us, to receive us into his family as adopted sons and daughters. Why? So that we can have a seat at the table.